God loves us. He loves us a lot. God loves us so much that the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, the Son of God, laid aside his heavenly glory and became a baby and went through 33 years of human existence and walked in our shoes, lived our lives so that he could be a spotless lamb and give his life on our behalf so that we could be the adopted children of God. And remember when I said this a couple of weeks ago, when it talks about us being adopted children, it's not little kids, okay? It's adult adopted kids with the rights and privileges and the inheritance of the family. God loves us so much that he gave everything in Christ to make us his own. And we see the heart of God in the book of Deuteronomy as his heart is to protect and to preserve the relationship he has with his people and to make sure that they stay on the straight and narrow because when we choose not to walk with God, there's only one option. When they chose not to go into the promised land, what was the option? Wander. And we live in a world where people are wandering. They're chasing after things, trying to be filled and trying to find purpose and hope, but they're not going to the only true source of life and hope and peace. And because of that, we wander. As Christians, how many Christians wander? Because we are scared of entering into the things that the Lord has for us. Like Israel, they were scared. But with that fear also came rebellion and disobedience. And that entire generation missed out on God's blessing. But God never failed them. And so this morning we're gonna start in Psalm 91. And then I want us to go back and begin in Deuteronomy 6 and carry it all the way through to the end of the book, okay? There is some debate as to whether or not David or Moses wrote Psalm 91. I lean toward Moses, and I'll tell you why in, in a little bit, okay? Actually, you'll probably catch it. Um, but let's begin, and let's just, let's just take this in, okay? Absorb this. Make it your own. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter, I think it's the King James that says the secret place, that intimate, private place of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. Now there's, look at the names there, okay? And look at what it says. He who dwells, lives in the shelter in the house of the Most High. Well, abide, live in, rest in, reside in the shadow 
If you're going to be in the shadow of something, you're going to be close to it. Of the Almighty, El Shaddai. I will say to Yahweh, my personal refuge, my personal fortress, my Elohim, the plural, okay, my God, in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, you live in the Lord. The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Does that verse sound familiar? Do you remember who said it in the book of Matthew? Satan, right? Okay, he's talking to Jesus, tempting him. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. He who dwells in the presence of the mighty God. Jesus tells us to abide in him, to dwell in him, to live and reside and rest in him. Why? Because he is the almighty God. He is our savior, our redeemer, our shelter, our strength, our hope, our peace. He is the I am. And everything we need, everything that will possibly satisfy is all in him. And so it's with this that we go back to Deuteronomy 6 and with this perspective, listen to how God speaks to his people. It's not one of authoritarian or tyrannical rule. I am God and you better listen to me or I'm going to bust you wide open. You know, so many people think that God is just an angry God. He is a just God. He is a righteous God. He is a fearsome God. But he is good and loving and caring and precious. And he loves us so much. So much so that he gives us rules and regulations and guidance so that we will not needlessly go astray and incur the pain and the heartache. 
Chapter 6, verse 3. Hear. Okay, that word there is to hear with understanding, pay attention, and be ready to apply it. Okay? Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them what? The commandments that he's just saying that he's giving to them. Okay? Why? Why hear? All right? Why be careful to do them? That it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Obey my commandments. Listen to what I tell you to do so that I can bless you with all the goodness that I have for you. And then chapter six, verse four, the Shammai. Okay, this is the great prayer in, in, uh, in the Hebrew faith. Okay, the great statement. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, singular, Yahweh, our Elohim, plural, Yahweh is Ahad, one. We have the triune nature of God there. Hear, O Israel, pay attention. Yahweh, your God, but a plural composite, okay? It's literally God's. Yahweh is one, singular, unified, okay? That's what it says. So we have a glimpse into the triune nature of the person of God there. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. You're going to put my words on your heart, on your mind. You put them on the doorposts of your house. You have the mezuzah. If you've ever seen a Jewish house, you know, when you walk in, there's a mezuzah on the doorpost and you kiss it and you bless it as you walk in and it holds the Shammai, okay, in it generally, all right? But that's, this is the normal verse that's in there. And so... And the mindset is wherever you go, whatever you do, you bring the word of God and the things of God into your life, your heart, your mind, your family. God is central. Why? Later on in Deuteronomy chapter 32, God makes it very clear. There is no other God. There is only one God. He is Yahweh. The I am that I am. Everything else is fake, is counterfeit, is untrue. Now, we can have gods. Isaiah talks about this. You make for yourself gods that are not gods. We make gods of careers, gods of other people, gods of ourselves, god of our things. We put them above him, but they're not gods. And the Lord knows that if we put anything else before him and love anything else above him, we're going to be getting ripped off. We do a trade-off that is of no value. It's a lie. It's a fake. 
And so he cares about us and he wants us to lock into following him and serving him and loving him with all that we have because everything else at best is a cheap imitation and will never satisfy us. He cares about us. And then if you go down, verse 13, actually, if you go to verse 12, he says, take care lest you forget the Lord. And he's talking about when you go into the land and you're blessed and everything is going good, take care that you don't forget him. We have a tendency to take God for granted. When things are going great, you know, this is cool, yeah. And we just go about our business. Oh, I missed my quiet time. Yeah, you know, I'll do it tomorrow or whatever. We tend to begin to take him for granted. He is so faithful. It's easy to take him for granted because he's always there for us. But look at what it says in 13. It is the Lord your God. You shall fear him. You shall serve him. And by his name, you shall swear. When Satan was tempting Jesus, one of the temptations was that he would, if he bowed down to Satan, then Satan would give him all the kingdoms of the world. Okay, and this is the way the enemy works. Hey, Jesus, tell you what, you know what's on the end of this thing. It's a cross, okay? I'm in control of this world, its kingdoms. You want the kingdoms of the world? I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And we can just bypass this whole crucifixion thing. All you gotta do is worship me. You worship me, you're the king. But see, that's the way this, the enemy works, okay? It's a bait and switch. Because if Jesus were to go, you know what? Okay, I'm good with that. And, and Satan's cruel. I mean, he's, he's, he's hitting a nerve here. And so, hey, you can have it all. Just worship me. But the thing is, if Jesus worshiped Satan and bowed before Satan, Satan's still calling the shots. And Jesus hasn't gained anything. He's lost it all. God doesn't want us to lose what he has for us. Satan took away what God intended for humanity in the garden with Adam and Eve through lies and deceit and temptation. God knew, and God already has shown Israel the lies and deceit and fear and temptation, and they've gone astray. And then here's Jesus being tempted to be diverting himself from the things that God has for him and what God wants to do through him for us. Then going down... To verse 16, it says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is Jesus' response. The first one was the response to, hey, bow down and worship me. This one is the response to what Satan quoted back in Psalm 91. And that's why I think that Moses wrote this, because I think Satan was quoting Moses. Jesus fires back with Moses. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. Hey, Jesus, why don't you just throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and let everybody know who you are? It'll be a great show. Bring some attention to yourself. Jesus responds with Deuteronomy. 
He responds with the word of God. I'm not putting the Lord God to the test. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He tried it with Jesus. He did it with Israel. He's done it throughout history. He's done it in our own lives. God doesn't want that for us. That's why he says, hold to me, seek me, abide in me. This is carried over when we go into chapter 7. He says, verse 1, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering in to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. That's pretty harsh, God. Verse 4, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And we know that all the other gods are fake. Okay? A lot of people have a hard time with this because it's wiping out an entire people group. God judges sin. And with that, God has to judge sinners. Okay? He has to. He is righteous. He is good. He is holy and pure. And he has to judge sin. He doesn't want to condemn anybody to hell. In the book of Ezekiel, two times, God pleads and he says... I take no delight in the death of the wicked. It does not give me pleasure. Therefore, be zealous and repent, 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 okay? He cries out to them going, I don't want to drop the hammer on you. I don't want you to die in your wickedness. It's a bad thing. I take no joy in this. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent Jonah. To Nineveh. They were a wicked people, but he didn't want to condemn them to hell. So he sends a grumpy, obstinate, hateful prophet who speaks a very crummy message. 40 days, God's going to kill you. Have a nice day. He didn't even say, Have a nice day. <laughs> but the people heard it and their hearts were broken and they repented. And the entire city repented before God. They even put sackcloth and ashes on the cattle. Okay, let's just make sure everybody's repenting. They turn to the Lord. God cares. God used Israel to judge wicked nations, wicked people, who he gave time. Remember, he told Abraham, I'm giving them 400 years. That's a lot of time to make things right with God. But they didn't. Time was up and judgment was here. Remember that God also used other nations to punish Israel. And there was death and pestilence by the hands of other nations. God does not play favorites, okay? You look at the flood, God judged the entire world for its wickedness. You look at the book of Revelation, God will judge the entire world for its wickedness. Yeah, it's hard for us to swallow. We think that's so extreme. I have to put my trust in the one who loves people, pleads for their repentance, and gave his own son to die on the cross in their stead. 
I have to trust him that he's doing the right thing. Even though it's like, God, that seems so harsh. But he's a righteous God and he has to judge. But he's made the way out. And we're going to see this as we go further on in Deuteronomy. So he says, you have to destroy them because they're going to pull you down. They're going to pull you away from me to false gods and you're going to, you're going to wander. You're, I'm going to have to judge you for the very things, he says later in Deuteronomy, I will have to judge you for the very things I'm having to judge the people that I'm kicking out of the land because you're going to be doing the same things. Don't go there. And then in verse 8, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord, set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people, get this, for his treasured possession. You protect what is precious to you. When you buy something with your own blood and life or the lifeblood of your own son, that is a very precious thing you have purchased. And that precious thing is you and me. And he's telling Israel, you are my treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It wasn't because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. They were just a family of about 70 under uh, Jacob. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. He tells them later, don't think that it's because you're so great or so righteous that you're in this land. It's not. Don't think it's because it's your own hand that you have taken possession of the promises of God. It's not. It's because I love you and I've chosen to love you. Not because there's anything particularly special about you. We have that tendency to become legends in our own minds. And I think within the church, we forget from whence we have come and we become self-righteous. We become self-absorbed. And we look at the sinners in the world around us and we forget, but for the grace of God go I. Humility in our walk with Christ. And give no room for the flesh. Going down to verse 17. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. God is always telling us to remember what he's done. Remember what I did. Remember what I did. Remember what I did. I don't change. I don't alter my course. I'm always the same. I saved you then. I'm going to save you now. I delivered you then. I'm going to deliver you now. I provided then. I'll provide now. Isn't that awesome? So he says, don't freak out. Verse 19, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand in the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so will the Lord your God do to all the peoples to whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from, from you 
and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. So often in my life, I have looked at those enemies in my walk with the Lord and in my life going, I can't beat this. I cannot beat this sin. I cannot beat this character trait in me that is so ungodly and unrighteous. I can't win. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says it's by the Spirit that we put to death the base pursuits of the flesh, the carnal pursuits of the flesh. I can't do it in and of myself. Israel could not destroy the flesh, if you will, the enemy of God who wanted to destroy what God had for them. They could not do it. But God says, don't fear. I am with you. I am in your midst. I will give you victory. So whatever you're facing in your life, whatever fear that you're grappling with, whatever temptation or sin, God does not change. And he will deliver you now as he delivered your very soul from the judgment of God on that cross. He is with you. Do not be afraid. Take it to him and let him fight the battle. All we have to do is follow. Follow me is what Jesus said. He's got it all. We just follow. We love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and strength. He'll take care of the rest. Chapter 8. It begins by him telling them to remember. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. He's really driving this point home. Why, God? Why should I remember to do it? That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. He knew they did not. Okay, so he put them in situations to bring up what was in there so they would know whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Why? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes forth from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus' response to temptation number one. When Jesus was starving 40 days of no food, and the Bible just says, and he was hungry. And I go, no, duh. You know, I mean, come on, 40 days of no food. Yeah, he's hungry. And that's when Satan comes in. He's like, hey, since you're the son of God, why don't you use your power and your ability to satisfy your hunger? To satisfy yourself. Hey, dude, you're going to die. And Jesus comes back with Deuteronomy chapter eight. Every time Jesus is tempted, every time Jesus is dealing with trials and hardship, he goes back to God and the word of God. 
He holds to the Lord. And so must we. I love the fact that the very things that God is telling us here and that God is telling the people of Israel, Jesus himself did. Jesus was in our shoes. This is not academic for Jesus. This is feet on the ground in the midst of it. He knows what it's like. So he tells us what to do and he did it first. Isn't that awesome? We have our example in Christ. We have our strength in Christ. We have our hope in Christ. We have our life in Christ. So that's there. And go over to chapter 10. Now he just said, I put you through these things so that you might know what's in your heart. And there's a lot of garbage that came up with those trials, right? With those tests. A lot of garbage. Chapter 10 Going down to verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways? Do you see that this is like over and over and over again? Okay, just driving this point home. To love him to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. Why? For your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples are you as you are this day. And then he says this. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. Israel had become guilty of outward religion. You looked at the Pharisees and man, they did everything by the book. And then all their traditions on top of it. Okay. And so when Jesus said to the disciples, if you want to see the kingdom, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. The disciples were like, you got to be kidding me. Really? Really? Look at them. They do it perfectly. But it was all external. We can be religious. We can put on shows. We can do all the outward things. But the Bible tells us God looks at the heart. Remember the rich young ruler? And he says, what must I do to attain eternal life? And Jesus gives him all of the horizontal, okay? Honor your mother, father, love your neighbor, you know, blah, 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 okay? All this I've done for my youth. Okay. Do this. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And it broke his heart, that guy's heart. And it tells us that Jesus loved him. Okay. It's very emphatic. Jesus loved this guy. And so Jesus now confronts the vertical. Okay. Yeah, you're doing great on the externals with people. Okay. So you think. Let's talk about this. Because he was so wealthy, his wealth was his God. 
and he couldn't let go of it. And he walked away. God brought those tests into Israel's life to show them what was in their hearts. And then he tells them here, I want you to circumcise your heart. I want you to cut the flesh out of your heart. This is reiterated many times in the New Testament. God doesn't want religion. God doesn't want jumping through hoops and punching cards. God wants the heart. And God looks at the heart. And so when God brings us into these times of testing, and I hate it, okay? Remember I said a few weeks ago, today is a good day to die. I'm not going to say that today. Because the last time I said that, I had to die. And it was so bad. It was good. But, you know, it's just like, oh, Lord, you know, I didn't mean to Dave, really. But he did. So he gave me an opportunity. He brought some things up in my heart. And um, it's like, okay, now what am I going to do with this? Am I going to cut away the flesh so that the spirit might live? Oh, Lord, help me. I can't do this. I can do it for you. My Holy Spirit, we will put to death the carnal pursuits of the flesh. Okay, now that we know we've got this problem, let's kill it. Okay. Is it going to hurt? Uh-huh. Okay. And you know the key? No. Okay. You know, it hurts. But it's a good hurt. I, I think of... You know, I, I, I like C.S. Lewis. And I think it's the voyage of the Don Tritter. And Eustace has some serious issues, okay? He's the kind of person everybody loves to hate. He's just a jerk, okay? And he ends up taking some treasure from a dragon's lair and ends up himself becoming a dragon. And he's trapped and his true nature comes out in this dragon, selfish, controlling, prideful, until he realizes he's trapped and he's scared and he begins to break and he begins to cry and weep. And when everybody has to leave, he can't leave. He's stuck. And so Aslan, who is a picture of Christ, comes to him in the morning. And the way that he takes the dragon, his flesh, off of him is he unvelvets his claws and he digs deep into the flesh of Eustace. And it is painful, scale by scale, layer by layer, tearing away the flesh until... There is a repentant, humble, broken, Aslan following Eustace. And he becomes a hero as he follows his king. It's painful when the Lord cuts away the flesh, but it's good because that's where we find life and freedom and peace and joy. Circumcising the heart. Then if we go over 
to chapter 12. And this just builds, okay? God says, follow me. And he's showing us the reasons why and how to do it. And then in chapter 12, verse 8, he says, You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over to the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose uh, to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, your contributions that you present. And uh, then verse 12, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. One of the things that people have, it's a catchphrase today is, I don't like organized religion. Neither do I. I don't like religion. Okay, but that's something that people throw out. I don't like organized religion. What God is giving them as a way to worship and seek him and follow him is organized. Why? Because if we don't have that, then we're going to do, like he says, what is right in your own eyes. This is the big problem with the book of Judges, right? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And you get spiritual anarchy. And people today are doing what is right in their own eyes. Well, I believe God says this. Well, I believe God means that. Well, I don't think I need to go to church. Well, I don't think I need this. I don't think I need to read the Bible. I think I can, and we do what we want to do. So when we do what's right in our own eyes, what do we do? We go astray. When we go astray, we wander. And we leave the only one who is the true and living God. We're ripping ourselves off. God doesn't want us to do that. So he says, you worship me where I tell you to, the way I tell you to. Wasn't well, it a little narrow, God? There's no other way. There's no other God. There's no other sacrifice. There's no other option. It's just me. So we got to connect on my terms, okay? Chapter 13 or actually the end of chapter 12, he says in verse 32, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do it. You shall not add to it or take from it. This is another issue. People add to and take from the word of God. I was talking with a, a friend of mine a few weeks ago and I, I just told him, I said, well, this is, this is what the word of God says. And we have evidence to show that what we have today is what was written by the original authors. So there's no question because a lot of people go, well, we don't know for sure what is written. Yes, we do know for sure what's written. Okay, deal with it. So how do you get around that? Well, so long as it's interpreted properly, Okay, is that really the way it's supposed to be interpreted? What they're saying is, that's not the way I interpret it, and therefore, it's not right. They don't want to hear what God has to say, because then now you have to do what God has to say. When we add or subtract to the Word of God, we rob ourselves of the blessings of God. 
because it's, you know, it'd be like me adding or subtracting to, you know, a, a owner's manual for something that I've never done before, or used before, okay? And I go, well, I don't need that. And I throw the directions out. And then I can't figure out why the stupid thing doesn't work. Well, I subtracted from it, okay? And now I'm stuck. And so I call up customer service and go, how come it doesn't work? Did you read the instructions? No, I didn't. Or not all of them. Or I didn't really think you meant that. You know, I don't say that. But, um, but you know what I'm saying? When we add or subtract, we rip ourselves off. We're going to wander because we don't have everything. And then chapter 13, basically God says, look, if a prophet comes to you and says something that's contrary to what I say, if your own family members come to you and say something contrary to what I say, if there's a bunch of worthless people who are spreading a new thing in a town and stuff, that's not what I say, you don't do anything, have nothing to do with them. And in fact, just get rid of them, get them out of there. They're poison. Okay, Paul talks about a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. Chapter 14. Okay, boy, we better go really quick, all right? This is just really cool. This makes me smile and happy. Who likes tithing? Okay, some people do. When I read this, it's like, oh God, you are incredible. What he says about tithing here, okay? And this is just, this is a freebie here, okay? It's just one of those things, but I just thought I got to talk about this. This is cool. So he says, all right, I'll break it down. Basically, every year you take 10% of all your increase and you bring it to Jerusalem, okay? And then you're going to give that to the priests for them and for the house of the Lord, but you're also going to eat of the tithe you get to participate in it. So when we tithe or when we give to the body of Christ, when we give to the church, we get to eat of it. You know, we come to this place and we're, you know, in a comfortable place and we're eating of the word of God as it's given to us and all that. So we benefit from it and God wants us to rejoice and all. But what's really cool is he says, look, if it's a really long journey and you can't bring that with you, I'll tell you what, just exchange it for money Bring the money to Jerusalem. And then listen to what he says. This is crazy. He says, turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses, verse 26, and spend the money for whatever you desire. Okay? Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. Whatever your appetite craves. Okay? what really just gets you going, all right? And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. So it's like, buy whatever you want. Go big, okay? Bring it in, and I want you to rejoice. I want you to eat it too, all right? You get to participate. For me, it's like, Lord, if I were to do that today, Number one, I land in Jerusalem and I'm going to Mexico's, okay? And getting a lot of shawarma and falafel, okay? We're going to tie that because it's really good stuff. Got it. I was, I was kind of sad. I looked it up. El Gaucho. It's an Argentinian steakhouse in the old city. Oh man, it's so good. I would, I would say like, okay, God, I'm giving you like so many T-bones, all right? Because I get to have it too. 
you know? And then I gotta go to Aroma, best coffee going, okay? We get like tons of coffee and we're gonna tie that. And then to wrap it all up, we go to Neiman's and buy the best pastries and cakes in the world. And then we bring it to the temple and we kick back with God and we rejoice. And I was just like, God, that is like so cool. Whatever you want, get it, bring it to my house, and let's just rejoice. I can, oh God, that's cool. You know, I just, I just made me smile, that makes me smile now. God's like, I wanna bless you. Take the tithe, let's rejoice in fellowship. Okay. And then it goes on to say every third year, and this is God's heart here. Every third year, you take that tithe and you bring it within your town where you live. Don't bring it to Jerusalem. Bring it to your town. And he says, um, it says uh, in verse 20, 29, and the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you and the sojourners and the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. God says that third year, you just bring it all in. And those that have nothing in the, the sojourner and the orphan and the widow, and they're just going to eat to their fill and be blessed. And I'm going to bless you. And it's like, wow, God is so good. God really, even in the tithe, God's heart is to bless us. And then, um, Verse 17, the laws concerning the kings. God already knows they're going to rebel. And so he says in chapter 17, look, this is what the king's going to do. You are going to say, I want a king like everybody else. I'm going to let you have a king. And this is what they're going to do to you. Just so you know, heads up. Okay. God's not letting them go into that without education. And then in verse uh, 18 or chapter 18, I'm sorry. There's a reference to... Um, to Jesus, the prophet like Moses. Um, verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist was preaching, the people were coming and saying, Are you the prophet? And John's like, no, I'm not the prophet, but I'm here preparing the way for the one who is. And in chapter three of Acts, Peter talks about this being Jesus. So Jesus walks in our shoes. He's tempted like us. He holds to the word of God. He's a prophet that holds to the word of God. He's the one who, his words are the ones that God wants us to obey and listen to. And then there's a whole lot of laws, okay? And we'll skip over those. They're just uh, reiterating things that we've already looked at. Um, but chapter 30, God's already said, okay, you're going to want your own king and you're going to reject me. We'll deal with that. Chapter 30 says, actually 29 and 30 says, okay, this is what's going to happen. Down the road, you're going to disobey me. You're going to do everything that I told you not to do, and I'm going to have to judge you. 
you are going to be starving in your cities. Nations are going to come against you. You will eat your own children because of your hunger. I'm just letting you know. Okay, I mean, God, God always tells us this is the consequences of disobedience and sin. He always tells us. So here it is. Okay, boom, this is the way it's going to be. And he says, I'm going to send you off into captivity, but a time is going to come when I'm going to turn your heart back to me. And you're going to repent, and you're going to seek my face, and I'm going to bring you home. The faithfulness of God. He's laying all these things down for them to give them the opportunity not to go the wrong direction, knowing they are going to go in the wrong direction, and knowing that he is going to bring them home, ultimately. God is so gracious and merciful to us. And he lays out before them blessings and curses. He puts it all out before them and says, okay, these are the things that are going to happen. Now, um, I lost it somewhere, okay? But I want to say this just because it's, it's cool. Okay, chapter 27. Um, the altar of Mount Ebal, okay? Ebal was the mountain of curses. Gerizim, the Mount of Blessings. So God says, all right, when you go in to the land, the first thing I want you to do is recite this law. Everybody get on the same page again. I want some of the people on Mount Ebal, and they're going to read, and they're going to concur with what happens, the curses for sin. And I want another group of people on Gerizim who are going to read and concur the blessings that come from following me. What's cool about this is, back in 2019, People used to say that Moses didn't write the Old Testament. It came later, and there was no writing or anything like that. 2019, at Joshua's altar on Mount Ebal, they discovered what's called the, uh, the Mount Ebal Curse Tablet. Has anybody heard about that? Okay, it's about the size of a postage stamp. It's rolled lead, okay? And they had to use imagery, um, x-ray imagery and stuff to actually penetrate it, to read it. But it's in what's called Proto-Hebraic language, okay? The very, very, very early Hebrew, dating back to this period, 1400 BC. And it speaks of the curses that will befall those who do not obey the command of Yahweh. It's the earliest time, the earliest thing that we have that actually uses the name Yahweh. And it says it a few times. And so they actually published it and uh, put it out just like two months ago after they did their research and stuff and verified it and all. But now we have this little tablet from Mount Ebal that speaks of the curses that will befall those who do not obey Yahweh. You know, the Bible always will be proven true. Always, okay? I just think that's cool. But God lays everything out. Okay, this is what's going to happen. Obey me, I bless you. I can do what I want to do for you. Disobey, you have nothing, no other option. And then I got to judge you and punish you for your sin. But I also love you and I'm going to bring you back home when you repent as I work on your heart. Now, we'll finish with this. Chapter 34, the death of Moses. Let's go to um, verse 4, okay? And the Lord said to him, 
Moses, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, God, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not undimmed and his vigor unabated. He was as strong as he could ever be. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit and wisdom for Moses had laid his hand on him. And Joshua takes them into the promised land. Now, Moses is a picture of the law. The law can never take you in to the promised land. The law can never save you. The New Testament, Paul talks about it being the schoolmaster, the teacher, okay, that points us to Jesus. So the law, Moses, will never take us into salvation, into the promised land. Only Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus in Greek, can take us into the promised land. Okay? Law cannot. Yeshua can, the great high priest. It says in the book of Romans chapter uh, 8, verses 1 through 4, what the law could not do because it was weak in the flesh, Jesus did for us. And we have become the righteousness of God in him. Yeshua. So, for us, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. And you will bear much fruit and your fruit will remain. Live in the presence of God. Walk in the light as he is in the light. John chapter 1, I think. 1 John 1. Just be with him. Love him. How do we love him? Just put him first. How do, how do you love anybody? Okay, how do you show love to your spouse? How do you show love to your children? How do you show love to a coworker? How do you show love to a friend? Love God with everything you have. He'll take care of everything else. Just be with him. That's what Yeshua did. That's what Joshua did. When Moses went up to receive the tablets, Joshua went as far as he could and then waited for 40 days. He got as close as he could. When Moses went into the tabernacle, Joshua could not go in. But he waited at the door the whole time, and he wouldn't leave when Moses left. He abided as close to God as he could. Yeshua, Jesus, was with the Father all the time in prayer, obeying and walking with his Father. And that's all we need to do. Spend time with him and walk in his ways. Father... We thank you that everything that we look at, you yourself have done. That we can look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The captain, the one who leads us. 
the one who completed that faith, and that it is you who do it, we just follow. We walk, we obey, that's it. You take us where you want us to go. And so, Lord, may we walk in your ways. When you put us through tests and you bring up that flesh, help us, Lord, to put that flesh to death, that we might be free and walk in the fullness of what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.